Good morning. I'm going to read God's word to you to start out. Soon after, he went through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Well, good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. It's good to have you all here today. I have a mother of a message for you today. I do. (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about women this week in a redeemed way, especially the ones that God has used to influence my life. I'm very thankful for my mother. See, when God made woman, he made her to be a gift to the man because he realized us men need help. He said, it's not good for a man to be alone. Because of sin, man has not always recognized the gift God has given us in woman. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and he obtains favor from the Lord. That's from Proverbs 18.22. We need to think gospelly, that's my word, about women the way God thinks about women. And that's also how a woman should think about herself. But sin has corrupted that view for us culturally. And we don't think gospelly. We think culturally. Favor is grace from God. In Genesis 2, God says, I will make a helper fit for him. Now, in most cultural and religious circles, because of sin, we have often looked and treated women with a diminished role, thinking of helper as less than, but actually, gospelly or biblically, the word helper that God uses here, or helpmate, is actually the word azer in the Hebrew, which God uses for himself 16 of the 21 times in the Hebrew. So the role of helper is an exalted high one from a gospel perspective. Unfortunately, we men don't always appreciate the help. We can do it ourselves. We reject the grace that God wants to give us in many different ways. My own father left my mother when I was five, rejecting the wonderful gift of grace that had been given to him. But fortunately for me, I was blessed with life from her. And I was um, given a wonderful example of character and leadership and generosity. She is an amazing gift of grace 
to me as a son. But my mom grew up in a culture that did not always honor her for her exalted position, the position that God gave her. And she had to work hard as a single mom, raising me mostly on her own. She worked full-time as a nurse. She went back to school, went to college, got her master's so she could teach nursing. And then she managed nurses, and eventually she became the administrator of a hospital. And then she became an executive for a healthcare insurance company. My mom is not diminished in any way. She's one of the wisest and kindest and most generous human beings I know. She's an amazing leader. And yet she's living in a culture where most men were paid more, promoted easier, and treated with more respect just because she was a woman. And yet she excelled anyways. She also grew up in a church culture that did not honor her always as a gift that God had made. When her husband left her because of his own sin, she was not able to receive communion in her particular denomination because that church was not thinking gospelly. It excluded her but what, what represented God's mercy to us as sinners. And growing up, my mom did not have the opportunity to serve or be part of worship services because of her sex, because she was a woman. See, the church does not always think or teach gospelly when it comes to the role of of women because it often looked through a cultural lens instead. See, the gospel is something that elevates the value of all people. When the gospel came to the Greek and the Roman world, it lifted the value of women in the family and in society, and it gave them new rights. It did that through the Reformation as well. But when the church became institutional, like society, it often disrespected the gift of woman. You know, we are truly blessed here at Crosswinds Church with so many amazing gifts of women. My own wife, Kathy, not only has been the rock of our own family, keeping it together so that I can serve here at Crosswinds. She, she has served well as our first hospitality leader, uh, our women's ministry leader, the first one, uh, our, our children's ministry leader for over 15 years, uh, now our new digital ambassador. She's at home greeting everybody and saying hi online. And, and she does that while serving in her own job, working for 35 other churches as the administrative assistant to the director of missions um, of our denomination. We have other leaders like Lori Inda, who serves 
as a nurse for our local school district and also teaches weekly at VSF, a, 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 a strong Bible study group of, of women and leads and, 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 and teaches those women. She's done that for the last 15 years. We have Danielle Cuchera, who's in the back there um, leading our, our technical team and has done a fantastic job through a, a challenging year as we've had to grow in that department. Um, and she works full time as a, a computer um, programmer. We have Tracy Breeze, who's um, led a successful ministry that that serves over uh, 700 families um, with our children's clothing exchange over the last 10 years. And and she's also served in hospitality and children's ministry while raising four kids and this year's homeschooling those four kids. And Cleone Simons, who's an amazing youth leader and encourager to every woman in this church and, and serves on our or with our praise team every week, encouraging them and, and checking the words and, and just being an encourager to everybody. And um, she's also found the time to go on and adopt every kid in Haiti and Africa. Um, <laughs> many mission trips. I, I'm amazed by women in our church like Rena Delport, who I just went to Africa with and is an amazing leader who who serves with her husband and leads teams and, and, and teaches women and, and, and children and cares for them around the world. We have new leaders like Michelle Quartz and, and, and Tracy Newberry who are, are, are doing an outstanding job restarting our, our children's ministry during this challenging time. And they raise their kids, and Tracy teaches more kids at, at, um, at an elementary school, and Michelle homeschools her own kids. And um, we have Marcy Lister, who just started this week as our new hospitality leader, who's an amazing leader that you're going to start seeing things from, who serves reliably here at Crosswinds, is here to serve and put her hands to work. They're all volunteers here at Crosswinds, and and they are women on the go for Jesus. And there are so many more that I did not even mention um, because it would take too much time to mention. There are so many gifted women here at Crosswinds that it would take me all sermon to mention you all and appreciate you all. As, As we think about the women as leaders in the church, we need to think gospelly. You know, I've been sharing some cultural values here with you the last couple weeks. And I thought of two this week that apply to this message. One is redemption, creating a grace-filled environment where the broken things become whole again and the old becomes new through an atmosphere of forgiveness and hope through Jesus Christ. And training, we seek to create a leadership pipeline that builds up people from the youngest to the oldest to make disciples who train other disciples to build up others who do the same. Now, notice we seek to build up all people here. All people. We don't build up one sex over another. Our culture here needs to redeem some of those attitudes that come from our culture and the world. Our church needs to think and behave gospelly to, to build up leaders for the future. And, and this is important because we have a new generation of amazing gifts coming up in our youth group that I, I lead on Wednesdays. Women who are on the go, great future leaders like ZNA sitting out there and, and, and Grace and, and Kaylee Courts and, and Kaylee Self and, and Allie Breeze. My hope is they will be led by God's word to obey him and not let the culture dictate who they are but let god's word 
informed that they can be women on the go for Jesus Christ. So much of what is said in God's word is easily confused today by our own cultural biases and even church biases. So much in the words seems offensive to our modern sensibilities. And, and, and there's also not much written about female disciples on the go with Jesus. So today, please give me your grace as I talk about something that's sure to go against um, some deep cultural biases uh, for Christian culture and also from a secular perspective. My hope is to challenge us to keep thinking from a gospel perspective. And, and, and so let's look at God's word. In verse eight, or verse um, one in, in chapter eight, it says, soon afterwards, he went through the cities and the villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. It says soon afterwards. Well, you need to think about what happened just before. Uh, is, Luke is connecting us to the previous text. Jesus just redeemed a prostitute, um, forgiving her sins, making her completely new by the authority of God through the gospel. Here, a marginalized woman in their society that was respected by nobody because of her sin and her sex was by her faith in Jesus honored alone, or her faith alone, was she was given honor, and she was given honor above all the uber-religious people at a dinner. She alone was told to go in peace. Not all the well-studied religious men. They were still left in their sins because of their hard attitudes towards her, which ultimately were hard attitudes against Christ. It's interesting that in the scriptures, all Jesus' recorded enemies were men. Years ago, or about a year ago, I'm sorry, in the news, a Christian leader, John MacArthur, a respected theologian and evangelical leader, said of another popular author and women's speaker, Beth Moore, go home, when he was interviewed about what he thought of her ministry in a conference in front of an all-male audience. Now, I'm not here to endorse Beth or John's theology. There are no inerrant Bible teachers. I do believe the scriptures are without error. And I do believe John totally dismissed in a disrespectful way a sister who is a gift. His remarks and his attitude in, con- in their context, I do not believe, reflect the scriptures or Christ's love in a gospelly way. Instead, they reflect more the attitude of Simon, the Pharisee, who would have kicked the female prostitute away. His attitude displays and shows a problem with the way women leaders are often treated in the modern church today. Other men in the paddle made it even more personal, calling more a narcissist. Now, MacArthur is a brilliant theologian, and may disagree with more on theological principles. But this is pharisaical behavior, not gospel behavior. Our, our, our text says Jesus went from Simon's house proclaiming the good news 
of the kingdom of God. Well, how is it good news? Or how was what MacArthur said good news to the women of our generation? Go home. The good news Jesus gave the prostitute was go in peace. Jesus' message of the kingdom is good news. The prostitute's sin was now completely gone. When we receive the good news of the gospel, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 The the Pharisee judged the woman by her sin and also by her sex. And he would have... Would he have had the courage to speak so harshly to a man? Would John MacArthur have dismissed a man so disrespectfully? Paul said in the previous verse, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we regard Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Friends, because of the resurrection, we are in a new ball game, aren't we? To to dismiss a woman so crassly because of her sex is sin if Jesus Christ is raised. The Apostle Paul said this about the new creation reality. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 Just read the letters of Paul, and you'll see Greek, Hebrew, male, and female names mentioned among his leaders and fellow workers in the gospel. Paul was not telling anybody to go home based on their sex or their ethnicity. Sure sounds more like a male cultural or institutional or political twist on things and not the gospel to me. Let's see if Jesus told a woman to go home. Our text today says the 12 were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, Luke has already introduced us to the 12 men disciples. We know who the guys are. And now he introduces us to three more disciples who are female. Now, I grant it that there are not a lot of words in the scriptures about the backgrounds of these three women or any of the others. Actually, some of the commentaries I tried to research this on skip over this part of the scripture and don't give me any background. But honestly, there's not a lot of background on the guy disciples either. What What Luke does give us here in detail is that there were women disciples, that they did follow Jesus, and that they had been healed of their demons and their infirmities, that Jesus had made them new and useful in his kingdom and his ministry. You know, often the culture has made Mary Magdalene out to be mysterious and possibly this great sinner they've kind of romanticized her as the prostitute who adored jesus and some even literature said he was his wife 
that's all fantasy. Her name sounds exotic, but the, the, she was a girl from the town of Magdala, which was a town in Galilee, and her name was Mary, like every other girl in Galilee or every other Catholic girl. And so the way to identify her was to call her Magdalene, which sounds exotic, but that's why she's called Mary Magdalene. Um, uh, Magdalene also means tower. And, and, and her name is always mentioned first. And so she was an important disciple to Jesus. We know she was a sinner, but she had her seven demons removed. And, and, and she was a grateful disciple who served Jesus. She had a significant testimony because Jesus had cast her demons out of her. None of the guys could claim that. Some of them seemed to still wrestle with their demons. Peter, <laughs> Jesus had to say, Satan, get behind me. He still had some demons working through, right? Um, you know, uh, Joanna, who had, was there, who had power and influence because her husband managed King Herod's property. She somehow convinced her husband, to let her go and, and, and serve uh, Jesus and, and the disciples on the road. And, and maybe he was a believer as well, and he allowed his power and influence to go and help fund the, the missionary efforts of, of the disciples. Um, she was a Hellenist, and, and she probably wasn't accepted within the Jew, Jewish house, and she probably wasn't accepted with the Christians, but she went anyways and, and, and served as a disciple. All three women were believed to be patrons, had some wealth of their own, and they helped fund the physical ministry of Jesus. They used their own means, giving Jesus their own time and their talent and their treasure to help his ministry be successful. You know, Jesus didn't tell any of them to go home. He needed their help. He needed their help to continue to bring the good news to the 204 small villages throughout Galilee. The, the work of the, the, the men, disciples, and Jesus was dependent on the work of these women. So, friends, it was a team effort of men and women to reach the people of Galilee with the good news. Now, if the women's role was so critical, why is so much more said about the male disciples in the scriptures? Maybe because men were more boastful about their own exploits. I'm kidding. <laughs> but women generally don't need as much praise about doing the right thing. <laughs> At least that's what my wife says. Um, actually, <laughs> um, <laughs> I put away the dishes. I need her to say, yay. Anyways, um, uh <laughs> actually, much of, much of the time, um, Jesus in the scripture is addressing the crowd in which men and women disciples would be present together. And often when a disciple was identified, it was in the form of correction to disciples like Peter, who often didn't get it. And, and, and many times uh, the guys were distracted by competing with each other about who was the greatest, and Jesus kind of had to straighten them out. Is it possible that the guy disciples needed a little more hand-holding? <laughs> As a pastor, I often see that women often start out with some of the Relational skills needed for ministry like compassion and serving others in communication. Jesus might have had to give the guys a little more attention and instruction. Just thought. Women, after all, are God's second draft. And in the Gospels, 
they appear more faithful. After all, it was a guy who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. It was not the women who ran home naked when things got ugly, when Jesus got arrested. It was not a woman who denied him three times when a teenage girl started interrogating him before the rooster crowed. But it was the women who stood by and mourned as he was led away to be crucified. And it was a woman who stood at the foot of the cross and supported their friend in his suffering. And it was the women who stood around to see where he was buried so we would know where the empty tomb was. And it was women who returned on Easter morning to prepare his body. And it, 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 it was a woman who first saw the empty tomb. And it was a woman, Mary Magdalene, who first saw the resurrected Christ. And it was a woman, Mary Magdalene, who Jesus first spoke to as a resurrected man. And it was a woman who first shared the most important truth with the world, the truth of the gospel with the disciples from Jesus. Go, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Jesus didn't tell her to go home. He told her to go for her or go for him. Go be a woman with the good news. In the scriptures, Jesus never told a woman to go home. But unfortunately, MacArthur's words expressed an attitude that many women have faced or received in God's church. That the gifts that God gave them as women to contribute were not needed or appreciated. Well, John MacArthur is a solid Bible teacher, and I believe he was attempting to defend an important doctrinal truth. Brother, there's an attitude in many of us that needs to be repented of because it's done a lot of damage to our sisters, the gifts that God has given to us all. This attitude has existed in me from being culturally discipled in church culture by men. I've sat in church meetings where I've heard said or thought to myself, that man needs to silence his wife. And sadly, there are times that I've silenced my own. And I confess today, and I repent of that now. That was anti-gospel thinking. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. My role as husband is to love her, not silence her. I'm to fill her heart with the gospel through the word, which is what Jesus does with women. And that is ultimately what a man is supposed to do. I believe this cultural silencing of women in the church came 
through a non-gospely application of some verses by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2. 12 was one of them. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And isolated, that verse could be used to basically say to a woman, stay home, and what you say does not matter. But we need to consider the, the context in light of all the scriptures of what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to us. Um, here in context, Paul is giving instruction for our public worship together of both male and female disciples. Paul's first point is uh, the, for, that prayers need to be made in respect of all authorities, honoring all earthly authorities, that we may all live lives before God in a peaceful and dignified way. And he lifts up Jesus as a supreme authority for both male and female. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. The gospel, right? And Paul claims his apostolic authority and his desire for how the church should conduct itself when it comes together, both men and women. And his first instruction is to us men. He says, I desire that in every place that men should lift up and pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, men and boys tend to compete with one another physically. I see this every day in youth group with the Breeze boys beating on each other. Um, (laughs) When we're small boys, culturally, most of us learn to dominate each other with sporting games and activities and physical fighting. It's just what we tend to do. Paul is saying we are not to be like this way in the church. We are to learn gentleness and kindness and unity, not competing for dominance, but we are to be in submission to God. Paul is speaking in generalities about men and women differences here. And, and he's saying, going to say to some of the women in generality, Paul says, likewise, women should adorn themselves in a respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold, pearls, or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, to the modern woman in our culture, that can at first glance seem to be offensive. But if we think about what Paul is saying in context, for most girls, physical beauty is what is emphasized culturally rather than our, their, their physical strength. So women in general tend to compete with one another more in terms of physical appearance. And so Paul's kind of saying the same thing to the girls as he's saying to the men, that competition has no place in church worship. Instead, women's outward appearance being the focus in terms of competition, godliness and good works should be the focus. Men should not use their strength for dominance, fighting with one another, and women should not use their looks to fight with one another. Now, in context, let's look more at the complexity of verse 11. Verse 11 says, let women learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, without cultural context, that seems like restriction for women. But you have to remember that in the first century, most rabbis would not let a woman be a learner. Women were not considered worth teaching. But here, Paul, who formerly was a a Pharisee, is encouraging women 
to sit quietly and learn with men. The benefit of the gospel comes from those who will listen and hear it. From the beginning of our faith, women were invited in, which was novel and new, to hear the word of God with men. Men at this time already had the expectation to be quiet and listen to a master, so they did not need to be instructed like the women because this was not the expectation. Women were released from having to sit and quietly listen to teaching because they were supposed to do other duties. Think of the story between Mary and Martha. Martha is annoyed with Mary because she's just sitting listening at Jesus' feet. Why? Because culturally she should have been doing housework and chatting with the ladies. Jesus gives her a countercultural perspective and corrects Martha and says it was a priority for Mary to be taught because it would have a permanent value to her, which was opposite to what the rabbis were saying of the day that considered it a waste of time to teach a woman. Sadly, we've often corrupted a verse to silence women when it was meant to empower women to grow and go in Christ. This word submissive has also become a dirty word in our culture because it is misunderstood and misapplied to women. First, submission is always the choice of the submitter, which is an act of love. If submission is demanded, it's not submission, but it's oppression. For a man to command a woman to go home is an oppressive and dismissive act. In Christ, that is not how we should act. The word says, wives submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Uh, the church, his body, and, and is himself its savior. MacArthur was not Moore's husband or pastor. Women are not to submit to any man acting in a dominant way. They are submit to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and to their own husband out of love for Christ. But it does not apply to men in general. Furthermore, submission in love is not just required of women. All believers are to submit to one another. We are each to submit to one another in love. As Christ did for us. And husbands are to submit deeper in love to their wives like Christ loved the church. Well, how deep was Christ's love for the church? How deep was the submission? Death. The gospel attitude is not shut up and go home. Go and die for your wife. There's mutual submission and love for the good of the family to, to create order and stability in the home. Now, these next verses are even more complex. Verse 12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, this is the issue I believe MacArthur's harsh comment was seeking to defend. And, and, and Paul is clearly upholding the role of men as the elder or overseer of the church which I believe is clear in Scripture because the context follows in chapter 3. But this has nothing to do with the capability or the value of women. 
Instead, Paul's reasoning here has to do with God's wisdom, like in the family, of a created order. Okay? It, 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 It may actually have to do more with our weaknesses as men than any weakness in a woman. The, the debate is in this verse is over whether teach and authority are one thing or two things. Scripturally, there is no question on whether women are to teach. It's actually commanded for them to teach. In Titus, Paul calls women to teach other women. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul instructs other women to prophecy while covered by the authority of their husband. For, for, for me, scripturally issue is not so much about women's teaching ability because women are wonderful teachers. It, it, it's about um, authority, who God and authority is who God holds accountable for the church's ultimate doctrine or leadership. And he holds men accountable for that. In, in a Christian household, a man is accountable and responsible to oversee and lead his family. Now, if there's no man who's being accountable, the wife has to take up the slack. When, when Paul asks women to be quiet and not exercise authority over a man, maybe it's the most influential way a woman can help transmit the gospel the men of the world. First Peter 3 says, Likewise, women, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Uh, what, what I believe this verse is saying is that a wife's submission to her husband in love has more power to bring change to her husband than her words. And that verse is about converting an unbelieving husband to Christ, which is a miracle. That's a profound change. See, a man's pride is often a stumbling block for him to receive the gospel. So it's possible that Paul is saying that because of the prideful weakness of men, they will only hear the gospel effectively sometimes from men and that they will see it better in women. I I do not know for sure, but the gospel, I do know for sure, is about love. In Ephesians 5, Paul does tell women to love their husband. I'm sorry, Paul does not tell women to love their husband like he tells men to love their wives. Instead, he tells women to respect their husbands. Why? Why? The simple truth is, if you ask most men, they interpret respect as love. And so there's something in our brains that, that, that respect, we understand love. And, and so there's a created order here that we understand. And so in, in, in verse 13, it says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. In verse 14, it says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so I think Paul, well, at first glance, is, you know, it, it, that can seem off. But what I think Paul is really driving at is created order. At first glance, it can seem like Paul is placing the responsibility on Eve for the sin that entered the world as the reason why she can't be an elder or the, the, the authority. And, and some men have made that argument, but that's not gospel thinking. And it doesn't fit with the scriptures or Paul's other writings. 
Because Paul says clearly in Romans 5.12, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, which is Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul acknowledges that sin came into this world through Adam. So Paul is definitely not blaming Eve for sin. Paul emphasizing here the created order that God in his wisdom has put together. Adam was created first. He was given the responsibility of God's word. He is responsible for it. Adam was not deceived by the serpent to sin. He walked into sin wide open. He was there during the whole time, knew what was wrong, and he did it anyways. Eve was deceived because Adam was negligent of his responsibility of sharing God's goodness with his wife. Adam knew God the longest. Adam was given the job of naming all the animals and seeing that God brought him this amazing gift of woman. He should have defended God's goodness and told the snake to go home. When that serpent lied to them both and said, God's keeping the best from you. He already had the best. Adam didn't fulfill his role as as her spiritual covering, as her protector. But culturally, friends, over the centuries, this verse has been used to point out the weakness of women. And that's exactly what Adam did in the garden, isn't it? Blame God for the gift of the woman he'd been given instead of taking responsibility for his own sin. And so sin has spread to all men and to women in our culture because in Adam we've all sinned. Women, Paul's words are not to condemn you. They're not about capability. They're about responsibility for men. The honest truth is if I gave any task to any of these amazing women leaders in our church, it would get done well and on time without any excuses. If you think gospelly, God is redeeming things. He is redeeming and restoring man to his job, to his responsibility to do his word. I I think under the Holy Spirit, Paul sees that women, if you take up his authority, he just won't do it. And he won't find that redemption. And the women and children of the world need him to do it. And he's asking you to hold back in that area. Verse 15 says this, And yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. And this is a difficult one to interpret. Uh, Scholars do it, but it sounds culturally, again, like women just go home and have babies. But that's not what it's saying. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Some believe he's referring to Jesus ultimately coming 
um, from the womb of a woman, like in Genesis 3, as the offspring of God to save us, and that is a possibility. But since this is after the resurrection, I don't think that makes as much sense. Thinking gospelly, what I believe Paul is talking about is the new creation. God's initial command to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. If women are saved by childbearing, Paul is talking about birth of new spiritual children. The, the speaking and the, the, the building of others in faith. In Genesis 3, childbearing is associated with the curse for sin. It's associated with pain. But here, childbearing is associated with salvation. A woman continuing in faith, persevering in faith, in love and in holiness with self-control, which are all fruits of the Spirit. Under the curse of our sin, men and women compete. We desire to rule over another and, and control over another and fight and compete. But friends, if we think new creation. If we think gospelly, the the curse is gone. And we work together as a team by God's design, maybe sometimes with different roles, but we work together with equal value as co-heirs to his kingdom, to be fruitful for his kingdom. Female disciples were a vital part of Jesus's ministry. The gospel of Jesus Christ is established by three things. That that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he rose again on the third day. Friends, without the female disciples, only one guy, John, I think, would know that Jesus actually died because he was there to witness his death. None of the disciples would have known where he was buried to prove that there was an empty tomb. And we might not have ever heard about the resurrection if Mary and Joanna and Susan hadn't ventured out and run to, or gone to the tomb that early morning wondering if they could have rolled away the stone and then ran back facing their fears to tell the men who wouldn't believe them that the tomb was empty. I hope you ladies will not listen to any Pharisee who will ever dismiss you or tell you to stay home. But you'll be more like Joanna and Mary and Susan and run and go and be a gift for God, be a gift for Jesus Christ. Have a happy Mother's Day. you are the glory of God. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness. I thank you for the women in our church. I thank you for your word that is always true. I thank you that it it speaks against culture. Always. It's always countercultural. Father, help us as a body to understand it and to lift up both men and women into the new creation, into your kingdom, into the good news that you are making all things new, that we are more than our gender, that we are your sons and daughters.
that we will rule with you forever. Father, if there's anybody here that today needs to repent of their sins, needs to turn from hard attitudes, turn from sinful attitudes, and turn to your love, turn to your mercy, and be forgiven. Let them do that today. For it is by your grace we are saved, Jesus, by belief in what you have done for us on the cross. We are not saved by our capability, but by what you did. For only you are righteous. Only you are true. Help us to turn and follow you. For in you is all authority and dominion and power. And you make us new. Father, thank you for what you do through your Son. We praise you for the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to pray today, um, come. I'll be here. be happy to pray with you.